When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is the HTML All The Things Podcast. This episode is titled, bit of a working title, Top 5 Web Developer Agency Tips. So we're going to be giving you some insider information into our top five tips of running a web dev agency. Mike and I have run a web dev agency uh, in a two or three man capacity for about eight, nine ish years. Um, kind of on again, off again, because we've done long term contracts, some freelancer work, some office work, then some web development work, just kind of just kind of hustling, I guess you could say, with a focus, obviously, on web development, uh, web developer agency stuff. Now we're into content creation, so like that's a bit of a split responsibility, so we're all over the place. And with all that information, we've kind of come up with a lot of tips that we use in our development agency business. We've also, through just being a development agency for a while, we've also come up with tips from that as well. So we come from all walks of sort of web development agency and all the the, the technical marvels around it, let's say, all that stuff. So we're getting a, this comes from a, a wide range. We cast a wide net of advice and this is our top five tips. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon. Leave a review or rating on your podcast app. Join us in our Discord server. Share this with your friends. And I actually have a bit of a fun fact about this episode. This episode is inspired, not written to be clear, but inspired by AI. So Google recently released... Uh, their AI, it was Bard, now it's Gemini. So once it hit Gemini, I was like, I'll try it. Never tried it before. And I was like, hey, like, tell me about HTML, all the things, you know, give me an impression of it, whatever. And it's it listed all the things that we do, you know, web development tutorials. We have a podcast. We have this and that. And then one of the things in there was that we give advice to or something like that for web dev agencies. And I was like, oh, that's right. I saw the little Google button. There's a little Google button on the Gemini prompts. And it was like, hey, like kind of fact check this, I guess it is with Google. So I was like, all right. So I do that. And it's like, oh, you know, we searched their site and we actually couldn't find anything that we felt relevant to web development agency tips. And I get it, right? It's not listening to all our episodes. And we obviously have given web dev agency tips throughout our episodes here and there. But I thought, let's get one focused on web developer agencies. Let's get a, a, a full episode kind of on the books and these tips can be used of course if you're a freelancer as well because you know we're, we're kind of freelancers too we've been all over the place so without further ado let's jump into our top five tips so the first one here is to present a human solution so this one comes from a place of mike you used to be our customer facing person and i used to be the person in the back that would talk to the customer still here and there being a small company you wear all the hats but that wasn't my primary concern and so Mike, you started doing some more long, long form contracts. And then I started talking more to the small to medium business clients, as I've said to death in many other episodes. And I wasn't very good at it in the beginning. My solutions were presented in a more technical way. Of course, Um, I wasn't really nervous. Like I'm kind of fine with public speaking in that, but I was more so I just wasn't presenting points and people thought I was trying to get out of work and stuff like that. And it was you know, through experience and through kind of figuring things out, it's like, okay, I'm not giving a human solution. I'm not presenting it. What does that mean? 
Well, it's a consumer-friendly sort of presentation. Remember that when someone asks you a question or when they present a problem to you, think of it in a way that is, okay, I, the customer, have a blog and it's all broken down. It's an old WordPress site. It's not working very well. Maybe it's infected with a virus or something like that. My goals are to, you know, take the finance world by storm with my finance tips. You know, how do I do that? And what I used to do is I used to present a non-human solution. I'd go, okay, well, we need WordPress. Maybe we can clean that up with a virus scanner and, you know, blah, 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 all this technical jargon. And they'd go like, they would kind of, they'd hear it and, you know, kind of in one ear out the other, if they're not technically savvy. And even if they were technically savvy, I've just kind of bombarded them with stuff that I could use to build a solution, but they don't see the end solution. So what I learned to do was present the end product present what the end goal is what i want it to look like and not talk about the domains and the databases and all kinds of things like that so in this particular example i might present it as sure maybe we'll take a look at your old site and fix it maybe we can make a new one but at the end of the day what i think we should do is we should keep you on wordpress because you're used to that and we should take a look at your hosting take a look at all that stuff and let's do a big seo audit to make sure, here's the human part, to make sure you're showing up on Google where you need to. Let's make sure that we put a nice security layer. People understand what security is. They don't know what a firewall is necessarily, right? Let's put a nice security layer in so that we have a lesser chance of you being infected with a virus again. Let's make sure that there's a virus scanner in place so that any pesky things that get in, we can do that. And let's make sure that your site performs really well because you want your customers to be able to reach your site fast. That is a more human solution and one that doesn't go in one ear out the other. Now, you might think, well, the human solution is really shallow. In this particular example, yes, some people come to you with a really complex and multifaceted problem. So you can be talking for like an hour about the human solution, which is not very technically deep. But sometimes a company will bring, a, bring in their tech person and they actually want some of that, those deep technical discussions. So in general, you want to avoid deep technical discussion, talking about IP addresses and databases and stuff like that. But you, but if they, if they do bring someone there, maybe you should bring up those details and they may actually ask for it. We've had, I've made quotes before where I, I read up the whole quote and then the tech department's like, Hey, can you also include a sheet of like all the plugins specifically that you're using? Cause they want to review it themselves, maybe to check hit compliance with something or just to see how reputable they are and those type of things. And that's a very sort of like technically deep, uh, let's say written conversation in the quote that I wouldn't normally include on the quote, but because they're asked it, they ask for it specifically, I will throw it in there, but I do want to kind of point out a caveat here, and that is that even if there's technical staff there, let's say you got your CEO, you got your content writer, and you got your IT manager. Those are three people that will commonly come in to talk to you in a medium-sized business sort of talk about refreshing their website. Still present your solution in the human way. Still present that sort of end product in a human way. And then add some technical details either at the end or sprinkle it in, but mention that it's to that person. So mention, say, let's say the, the, the tech guy's name is, is Bill. Be like, and for Bill, this will be using an HTTPS connection. For Bill, this is, and just mention that so they know I'm not... I'm not talking over their head intentionally. I'm specifically speaking to Bill. And then sometimes Bill, right, in our example, will say, okay, you know, can you actually just send me these type of details later? 
perfect. Then I could then I can skip kind of the, the the technical aspects of the conversation, and I can just do the more human approach and just remember to send Bill some notes about whatever HTTPS, the servers, the whatever. Also, when you're talking about this whole human solution, you don't want to present a utopia. In other words, you do not want to oversell, but you do want to have salesmanship. So this was another thing that I kept sort of messing up was that if someone came to you with a big problem, I thought at first I'm like, okay, so I'm taking on their big problem. I'll kind of relate to them and I'll like, kind of like talk about like, oh yeah, this is a big problem. But what I was kind of ended up doing was I was presenting the customer's problem as my problem. And then they kind of thought like, Hey, like this guy doesn't want to work on this. So for example, you know, oh man, like I would say like, oh man, like that's going to be a really challenging thing. What I think you should do is X instead, because doing all this is going to be nearly impossible. I thought I was kind of being, I was kind of relating to the customer, but what was happening is, is they see that this as like, oh, this guy's lazy. He wants to do the easier solution. He doesn't want to do sort of the big solution. He doesn't want to solve my problem. Now, in some cases, you might have to speak the direct truth about a customer's problem, right? They may straight up not have the, the amount of employees to run what they're asking you to do. They might not have the budget and you may have to be very blunt. And so that bit of that salesmanship layer goes away and you may have to pull them off the brink of the cliff. You might have to say, hey, whoa, 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 you're walking off a cliff here. Like I do want to say, but present it that way and say, hey, I do have some concerns over the fact that you have, you know, a one, a one 1500 word blog post a day goal. You want to have that published every single day, but you have one writer what happens when they're sick? What happens this? And those are very sort of not, you know, happy-go-lucky utopian conversations, but it is something that you do need to bring up to them and say, hey, you know, this is a problem. So what's an alternative here? You know, you don't want to present the customer's problem as your problem. Do still present sort of that end game solution of what you think. And they may notice, like, let's say, for example, they're asking you for um, a WordPress site where they want to uh, sell sweaters is a common thing. Like they, they make t-shirts, they make sweaters, they make shirts, they want to sell it on there, but their budget's super low and like whatever. And they come to you with all this information right away. Instead of you going like, man, you just don't have the budget. Like just go to Shopify. Don't worry about WordPress, whatever. Talk to them about how, okay, you know, what do you want out of your site in the utopian way? Think about it as like, okay, what, what is the ideal end of the day thing? I want to sell stuff. I want this. I want that. And question them, poke holes in their narrative kind of silently. So bring up things like, Hey, you know, how much time do you have to manage the site? Oh, you know, 10 minutes a day. How many staffers do you have this and that, this and that. So then you can come to you and say, okay, in order to reach this sort of utopian idea, I think that you probably should avoid WordPress because you can't pay for the maintenance and you don't want to deal with this. You don't want a self-hosted solution. I think you should go to Shopify and I can still help you with that. See how it's a more human way of instead of being like, oh man, that's such a drag. This is going to be horrible <laughs> go to them and sort of present it as this other solution. In this case, Shopify is your cure. And you've already kind of sown those little seeds in the conversation when you've poked holes in their narrative of being like, Hey, uh, WordPress needs to be maintained. Are you uh, you up to the task? No, I only got 10 minutes. You Then you keep bringing that up. You go like, hey, Shopify maintains their stuff for the most part. You know, like they got it. They deal with it. Yeah, there's plugins and stuff like that. But like, at least with Shopify, you have support, right? At least with Shopify, they deal with the credit cards, right? 
And those are the kind of the questions and those are the sort of seeds that you do in, but you present it in a human sort of like, Hey, I have the solution on hand. Don't worry about it. Even if it does come down to those sort of negative or let's say direct truths where they just do not have the money. They do not have the people. And as a final note in this present a human solution, show and tell goes a long way, especially when a customer request is similar to something else you've built. Question, uh, one, one person came to us straight up. They just said, hey, I like my website the way it is. I know it's old. I, it doesn't work on mobile, doesn't work on iPads and phones and those type of things. I basically want this website to be modern. Can you do it? I go, yep, here's a solution or here's a, another project that I did where I took this website, had a picture of it shown them the picture. And I said, and here's the new one. It was already live. They got to play with it. Show and tell, right? They get to play with it. They get to go in. And I had permission from this particular client to show off that or to show off my affiliation with this, with having created the site. And so they got to look at it, mess around with it. And they go, yeah, I love this. There's bat, you know, there's nice high definition videos and uh, high definition images and, you know, everything's still running nice. So they're compressed and, you know, yada, yada. Obviously they weren't saying all those technical things, but the point of the matter is they get to see it and they go, wow, this looks really nice. Let's do it. And also again, show and tell, show off some portfolio projects, especially if they are related or similar to what the customer is asking you for. Great advice. Honestly, like, yeah, I, you're right. Like that transition from like technical to sales is tough. Like it's really, really tough to go from like, oh, I'm I'm more of a technical guy to then talking to customers. And the only way you can really get better is to kind of struggle your way through it. And that's the same thing with me. Like I struggled my way through it as well. One mentality that I have that I want to share with this in this present a human solution thing is that when I sell something, whether it's internally in a company that I'm working at about like starting a new project or working on this feature, or if I'm selling myself to another company, like, hey, I'm going to be working for another bigger company. And then this kind of like an interview where I'm trying to get the contract, whatever. The thing that I try to sell is that I'm here to work with you on this solution. We're partners in this. We're not, you know, you're not hiring me and then like forgetting about me and then like, you know, finishing off or whatever. We're going to work together to get to where you need to be. Now, that doesn't mean that they have to be consistently involved in the process. That doesn't mean that you have to like be like, oh, hey, I'm going to contact you every day for five hours a day. No, that just means that, hey, your end goal is to have an e-commerce site that sells, you know, $5,000 a day of t-shirts, right? Like that's your end goal. Like it doesn't matter what technical stuff we're talking about before. Nothing matters other than the fact that this is the end goal that you want. So we need to work together on that because I cannot personally fix your t-shirt problems. Like let's say if a t-shirt comes up, that's just shit and all your customers hate it and give you terrible reviews. I cannot do anything about that. So you need to, you need to focus on that stuff. I can focus on all the technical stuff and take that all away from you so that you can focus on that. But if you're not willing to invest your time into it, if we're not willing to work with me on this, this project is a failure and it's a project, not a failure. Like sure I'll get paid, but I'll still consider it a failure. And that's, really the the conversation that like the realistic conversation I have with customers nowadays and it's been very successful so it is very much like a, a little bit blunt a lot of times but it's also very like realistic and human because you're talking to them again not as like a client you're not talking to them as a someone that's trying to sell them you're trying to make them successful that's your goal you're trying to make whatever their idea they have successful. And if that requires a little bit of pushback, if that requires a little bit of give and take, again, the idea is this is a partnership to get to an end goal. You're paying me, but I'm in it 
Like I'm in it. I want you to succeed. So that's a little bit of advice that I have. That's worked great for me. I got, I got it from some other, some other salesy podcast that I listened to. I can't remember what it was. If I remember, I'll put it in the show notes, but regardless that I've, I've done that on everything. I've done that inside my job where everything that I do is always ownership based. Like, Hey, I'm working on this feature. Yes, I'm getting paid for it, but I need it to succeed just as much as you do. That's the mentality that I have when I'm working on it. And that's the mentality I have when I'm selling it. There is there is that sort of push and pull a bit, right? Where and 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 it's hard to present it, right? Because you know it comes across sometimes. Like uh, I'll give you a really common example: people would come to me and they they would ask for WordPress, and I would tell them and be like, "Hey, I'm going to warn you: if you ask for WordPress, I can't make a lot of custom changes, and if I do have to jump into the code, I may have to like literally create the plugin from scratch rather than use the plugin, or I may have to create the theme from scratch rather than use the theme that you're asking for. Because if you're really picky, you know, yada yada." And then that like turns them off. They're immediately like, oh, okay, like this guy doesn't want to like really work with WordPress or he doesn't really want to work on this. He thinks like whatever. But if you go and you approach it from the goal perspective of like, I need this WordPress site to look nice because I need, you know, to sell my t-shirts. I need to present this, uh, this like, I don't know, statue that you've built or whatever. I need this to showcase my woodworking skills because I you know, I'm a carpenter and I sell things like that. I sell like furniture and whatnot. It's like, okay, like we're, uh, we're achieving a goal together. And it becomes when you have those conversations, it hopefully becomes less about sort of the, the web developers nightmare of like, let's left align that title. No, right align it. No center, left, right, center, left, right, center. And we've had conversations like that with customers and still to this day. And I'll argue with them. I'll say, no one is going to realize or think that because this title is not centered and it's left aligned instead, that your whole site is garbage. Like your goal has still been reached. Can we move on from this? Right. Some customers still get caught up, but having those more human conversations, it, it, it kind of like shows that a bit of, bit of salesmanship and a lot of customers will s- sort of realize like, yeah, I am fighting over a heading for what, for what purpose? Like, what is the purpose of me fighting over this heading? It does absolutely nothing for me. Let's go on to tip number two here, which is answer questions in short form to start. So when your customer has questions, inevitably answer the questions in the shortest to the point fashion as possible. The reason why you want to do this is because long form answers can easily take over meetings and get everyone bogged down in something small. You can have that conversation just kind of like what I said with the, the the title. Should these be center aligned? Should they be right aligned? Should they be left aligned? Should we need full justification? What's our line height going to be? It's like we can argue about this now, but if we haven't actually built the page, let's build the page. Then sometimes even live, if it's a visual builder on the call, we can mess with the line height, but at least 90% of the site is done. Everything's readable. The site, the site pages are built. Everything is done, right? So avoid these sort of getting, sort of getting bogged down in these little conversations if possible. This is really accidentally easy to do, especially if someone asks you a very technical question or if they ask you something that demands a long form answer, because you can go, well, this is an SEO thing. And then da 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 keyword research, da 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 like SERP, da 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 like all on and on and on. And your answer might be 100% correct. And like the back and forth you're having with the client might be super productive, but now it's, it's completely ruined. Like, let's say a six topic meeting. It's, you got to the second topic, he got bogged down. Now four of them are gone. Now it's like, well, do we have another meeting? And like, it's a big, it's a big mess. So the, what, what I suggest and what I do now is if I'm asked a question that demands a long answer, I will answer in a short form way. And I will be clear to the client that I'm giving them the short answer. 
and I will offer to give a longer answer. But I will say, you know, I don't know if we want to get into this because this could go on for 10 minutes or 20 minutes or something like that, because this is quite a lot. Maybe another meeting would suffice or, you know, maybe we should have an email exchange about this. Or maybe sometimes it's like, hey, maybe you guys should actually read up on this so you can converse with me because, you know, you don't know what keyword research is and or you don't know what an SEO tool is or you don't know what page speed is. And so you're talking to me and I'm just answering questions and there's a million and one things that can go wrong in in, in Google PageSpeed Insights. It's like, am I really going to explain every single property, every single way? And we do have a client that will ask that, like, will ask me, like, it's like a game of 21 questions or something, where it's just question, 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 and then nothing gets done about it. And it's just sort of like, it's almost like I'm being checked on my knowledge. Do you know what this is? 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 Oh, you don't know what this is? That's interesting. And it's sort of like, what kind of conversation are we having here? Like, what, like, what is, like, where are we going? Like Mike mentioned goal oriented. That's really, that's a really key thing for, you know, just any project. It's sort of like, why do you need to know what all these things are? And, and here's the reality. I have to remember like a thousand things. I'm not going to remember what every single little tiny thing in PageSpeed Insights or an SEO tool or Webflow or WordPress or a plugin or whatever. I'm not going to remember all that stuff. It's just not going to happen. Right. And so getting bogged down in these conversations, like realistically, maybe even this tip should be, you know, avoid getting bogged down, like avoid getting bogged down in these conversations where you're just spinning your tires tirelessly. Forget it. Don't don't get bogged down or uh, try to avoid as much as you can. Keep pushing toward the goal. Just keep pushing toward it. Keep moving forward. Easier said than done. Absolutely easier said than done, but a a good key way just to reiterate is to answer questions in short form and offer as an option, the long form answer, because if you start getting into it, I mean, Mike and I do this all the time. We'll have a meeting. We're like, we'll talk, we'll talk about content for 40 minutes before the podcast hour and a half later, we're still talking about content. And then we realize like, oh shoot, like we've been talking about this, this stupid keyword research thing for 20 minutes. And that was half of our allotted time. And now it's added on and mess. It's a mess. So it's easier said than done, but it's a really, really simple but crucial tip that's hard to implement yeah i find that clients will or like anyone that you speak to will will probe the things that they they want to probe uh so it's good advice just in general uh to always kind of keep it short as short as you possibly can uh just to continue to get the conversation moving and when they have questions like even if it's in an email right like you keep your answer super short in an email because people don't read Right. Like that. We know everyone knows that people don't read. So if you write a long email, 90 percent of it won't be read just really realistically. Or if it is read, it'll be forgotten immediately and they'll ask, re-ask the questions that you've already answered. No one's going to go in and try to figure out the answer from what you've written. They'll just ask you again and you'll have to explain everything again, copy paste it or whatever. So keep it as short as possible for everyone to understand and leave leave it open for, you know, clarification if they need it. A lot of times they won't. And then you'll save yourself a bunch of time. You'll save the client a bunch of time and you can, you can move on. Having said that, when you're gaining, when you're getting requirements out of a customer, this is where the only time I would say, you know, keep it as verbose as possible, because this is where you kind of save your own ass with the, with the contract stuff. So when you're creating a contract and you're, you're generating requirements and you, you, you know, you set expectations to what you're going to be building. It needs to be fairly verbose to the sense that like if, you know, three months down the line, the customer comes up to you and be like, I thought we were building this. You can then reference back and be like, hey, in this requirements doc that you signed for the contract, 
this was not in scope, so we have to add it on as an extra thing, right? This that's that's my only clarification. Overall, always keep it short. But when you're creating requirements and for for a client, make sure that you're as verbose as possible there to make, to cover your own ass and and to inform the client as much as possible if they are willing to read it, so that they know what you're building for sure. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's going to be another one of our tips is going to be on getting expectations um, and sort of gathering them and making sure scope creep doesn't, you know, kind of go crazy. But it's absolutely something critical to mention because you don't want to how can I describe this? It's like you don't want to be the person that's always in a short form mode. You know how you have like some friends are just like they're all like they want to go fast when they talk to you and you'll be like they'll be like, oh, how's it going? And and you, maybe you have like a complex week. So you're just like, oh, man, like, you know, I had a couple things and you're not like trying to talk forever. You talk for like a minute and they're like, yeah, yeah, OK, next thing, next thing. Like, what are we doing today? You know what I mean? Like the, the, those people, they're like, next thing. Like, what are we talking about? Like, why are we sitting here talking about or, talk about your day? It's like, yeah, ask me about my day. <laughs> and then I asked you about your day and you said, yeah, I was all right. Let's go dude whatever it's like it's too manic and then like you don't really have like a deep friendship or something with those people because it's like come on quicker we gotta go faster it's like do you know what, do you know what i'm trying to say it's like you, you don't want to have that with your client necessarily so it's again like mike i agree with mike having those like contextual like where it's like okay this conversation has to be deep and this conversation has to be specific and this should not be short form because ooh-wee. but just avoid getting bogged down wherever possible tip number three don't be afraid to push back. Now, I have a note here because I've been told on some of the memes we've published and I've been told by other people that this is a controversial way to be. So this is a business note. I'm just going to read this verbatim from my show notes here. This is a controversial tip. As some people believe the customer is always right and therefore you are there as they were there as the tech to implement whatever the customer asked for. It's not on you. If what they're asking for is something that they don't need or cannot support reliably, you have to decide which type of business you want to run. And for us, we believe that you should be pushing back. Many people, like again, they don't think you should be pushing back at all. Customer is always right. If they ask you for a Lamborghini and you provide a Lamborghini and they don't have gasoline, not their problem. And you just let them sort of like, whoops, sorry, that's what you asked for. Whereas again, Mike and I are a little more goal oriented and we're a little more realistic and we will push back on things. So when should you push back on a part of a customer's project if you choose to be like us? Well, not when they're you know too much work for you. You're not trying to make the, the project convenient for you. That's not what you're trying to do. What you really, when you should push back is when you have a legitimate concern. So something like budget worries. They come to you, they're asking for, you know, a whole bunch of stuff and they have no money. You know, realistically, at the end of the day, we're doing this for money. You need money, you need to pay rent, you need to pay food, whatever. We need to do this for money. If they have no money, you're not going to do this for a dollar an hour, are you? And again, yes, I understand that different markets, maybe a dollar an hour is fine because it's a different financial system, whatever. I understand that. But here in Canada, dollar an hour, not going to cut it. $10 an hour, not going to cut it, period. It's just not going to cut it. Especially for a technical expert, period, not going to cut it. So it doesn't matter. So if you have a legitimate concern and they're asking you for like a thousand hours of work and they have a thousand, they have a hundred dollars, they have a thousand dollars for a thousand dollars an hour or for, excuse me, a thousand dollars for a 1000 hour project. So you're getting paid a dollar an hour. Zero percent. Can't do that. There's just no way. Also employee constraints. This is something I bring up and I fail at this. Actually, I've, I've, I think I've convinced zero people actually to go along with this, but this is something I will bring up every single time. What does, what does this mean? They, meaning the customer, does not have enough people to support a feature. A great example is, they'll be like, man, I'm going to do a blog. And I'll ask them, are you? 
you know, are you going to do a blog? Are you, are you big in SEO? Like now, like, do you know what keyword research is? Nope. Do you know what you would blog about? Nope. Are you busy all the time? Do you have a bunch of spare time at work? No. Are you going to hire a writer? No. Why am I making you a blog? And I've never successfully convinced anyone, never successfully convinced anyone not to do a blog when they've asked for one. And only one customer that I can think of, and I literally mean one customer that didn't come to us with a blog originally that said they were going to start has actually started and done a blog. Only one. And it's just like a feature that now needs to be maintained or supported or at least looked at, or it needs to be hidden because there's just blank pages and we don't want that to show up on our SEO. And so we need to kind of like hide it, but like have it ready to appear when or if they do start it. And when you mention it to them, they're like, we don't have a blog years later. And it's like, you asked me explicitly for a blog. It's a mess. So I've never successfully convinced anyone not to do it. But employee constraints is a big one. And I did use the blog example, of course. I'm sure there's other examples. That's the number one employee constraint thing that I always bring up. Hey, you don't got a writer and you don't got no time. You don't have no time for people to write. What the heck? But I I will bring it up probably forever throughout my whole career. And I hope to convince somebody one day. (laughs) Next thing is when you have a legitimate concern about a misunderstanding. So an example would be they're asking you for two factor authentication just because they hear that that's secure, but they don't know what it is. And they're not tech savvy enough to use it without assistance. And they don't have time to be blocked. They need to log in and do their stuff. So maybe what they're doing is not super secure. And they, you think that they don't need two-factor authentication. Maybe they don't, they're, they're just like, you, you think, hey, you know, if someone breaks into this person's account, they're only seeing public information or like whatever. And you don't think it's like a huge problem. Just set a secure password and whatever. Like you, the tech, have decided the two-factor is not needed. And they don't really know what they're asking for. There's a misunderstanding here. So bring that up and say, hey, I don't think you need two-factor. Like, we can do it if you want, but I don't think you need two-factor here. These are my reasons. If you want it, sure, but here's my concerns. I think you're going to have trouble logging in, and I'm not going to be here every time to help you with two-factor. You're going to have to figure out how to use two-factor. And they'll sometimes back down, sometimes not. And there's many other examples of this, but when there's a misunderstanding like that, I think it's really important that you bring it up because sometimes even if they do decide to go for it, they at the very least now know what it is because sometimes people will just ask for things. And Mike and I have worked on government projects and this is a big thing that happens there. They'll ask for things and then they'll go to me and they'll, they'll say, hey, where's the two factor authentication? And I think to myself, what do you mean? Where is it? It's right away. There's a token. You enter your username, your password, and then ask for a token. What do you mean? And I'm like, it's the token. They're like, no, that's a token. That's not two-factor. And it's like, oh, they don't even know what two-factor is. It's just on the sheet. They just didn't, they just don't know what what they want. So bring it up. It's something to consider because at least they know what it is moving forward. Also, push back with evidence and inquiry. What do I mean by that? So don't just go in and be like, give them pushback and be like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) Like, Like this isn't for your convenience. This is, you know, for their goal. You're trying to push forward their goal. So inquire is the first sub point I want to cover here. Push back with an inquiry. Ask questions as to why the customer wants a particular feature that's in question. If you suspect that that particular feature will not help them in any way, maybe will even hurt them or will be something that they cannot back up, that they cannot, you know, they don't have the the writers or whatever for a blog. Inquire about it. Ask questions about it. 
and go, hey, like, I don't know about this. I feel like this is just this is just going to waste your time. This is something we can add on in the future. It'll lower the it'll lower the price. Why don't we not do it right now? And if you get a couple of blog posts written that you want published, I'll spin up a blog for you real quick on what we've already built. What do you think about that? Inquire, sort of like figure out what's going on, what's going through their head, what's going on. Because they might just hear, oh, SEO, blog, blogs are good. Let's do an SEO. And then it's like, well, do you know what an SEO is? Like, who even says it like that? What's an SEO? That's why our customers, some of our customers would ask, what's an SEO? What does that mean? And then you explain it. And then they're like, that sounds too abstract to be technical. It's like SEO is pretty abstract, actually. Like there's, there's certainly objective ways to, you know, have some decent SEO. But if you want to get into the the meat and potatoes of it, I mean, you have to pay attention to Google updates. You have to pay attention to uh, backlinks and yada, yada. And there's there's a, certainly an abstract layer of which, you know, my expert advice may not uh, may not be the same as someone else's expert advice, but we're still both successful, ex- successful experts in it. Right. So like have those conversations inquire about it so that it's not just a pushback of like, nope, that's dumb. Don't do a blog. And then they're like, what? Have those conversations. Next sub point here is evidence. So when you push back, offer evidence to back up your pushback. For example, you will need to pay for regular maintenance and we are already at max budget. If you add this feature, if you choose this CMS, you will need to do regular maintenance and you literally cannot afford it. You're at max budget. So I'm not going to do it for free. Are you going to do it? And if something goes wrong, who's going to fix it? And do you have the money to fix it? Offer evidence in a way that, you know, is direct and is backed up. Like it's real evidence. It's things that maybe you've seen or maybe you're showing off something that happened in public. Like, hey, you know, so-and-so site went down and I know for a fact it went down because of the thing that you're about to do. That's your evidence. Like, I recommend you don't do that. If you do it, I mean, okay, but I recommend you don't do that. Offer pushback in this area. Also. Offer workarounds that complement your customer's goals. So don't, you know, this kind of comes back to that human answer thing in the the first tip, but don't use an in-house e-commerce solution, maybe. That's too much maintenance. They can't afford that, but they can afford one of the Shopify plans and they're only doing basic stuff, so maybe they don't need any plugins. Perfect. Use Shopify basic, choose the plan that fits for them. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a a, a budgetable, constant, constant subscription that they can pay for it's not a question mark of like well hopefully matt you know when he comes into my site finishes this in an hour because i can actually only afford to pay him for an hour but i need the task done the task could take two hours now i can't pay him they know how much shopify is going to cost they know it comes with support they know the features that it comes with it is something that they can absolutely anticipate and budget for and get the job done from now i I have a point that i do want to make that isn't in the show notes and that is probably a question that's looming on your mind because it's looming in my mind now if you offer pushback and the customer just says no like that's you know i i want this thing i think and this is kind of extreme that you should either you have two you can be of two minds here you can just do it or you can you can leave the reason why i say you can potentially leave it sounds extreme is because if this project in your mind think if you think this project's going to tank and you do not want to be taken down with the ship leave Sorry, man, I don't think we should do it that way. I'm out of here. Now, if it's something, you know, silly, like, you know, you, well, you're going to add a couple, you're going to add a new post type to WordPress. You're going to add a slider where you don't think there should be one. Don't leave over things like that. But Mike and I have been a part of projects where we've held in. We've just hung in because we're like, man, there gets money. So we'll hang in. And it's cost us money. 
because it's a hellish project. There's more hours than normal. Everyone's running around. No one knows what's going on. Regular maintenance gets interrupted by the daily task because no one's trained and they didn't want to do the training. And, you know, yada, yada. Like if you, if you think the project is going to tank and the project sucks, unless you're held there by a, pro- by, you know, absolute necessity of money or the absolute necessity of, or some sort of, you know, legal ramifications, unless you're held there for a reason, I think you should leave. That's my opinion. Hey, you know what? I don't think this project's going to work out. I don't think you're doing it the way, you know, whatever. Present it in a nice way. You don't tell them off. You just say, you know what? I'm sorry, man. Like, if we proceed this way, like, I'm out of here. I don't think that's the way we should do this. And that's it. And, like, I mean, it's 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 similar to just getting a second opinion, right? Like, people go for second opinion in medical. They go for second opinions in, in projects. They bounce ideas off of friends. Basically, those are second opinions. Second, third, fourth opinions. And... Maybe you just say, you know, I, I don't think we can do it that way. Like a great example is like people that use Word uh, Webflow, excuse me. The, if they're a Webflow expert and they only sell things in Webflow and then one of their customers who is on Webflow comes to them and say, we want to go to WordPress. You could just say, hey, man, like, I don't think you should do that. And if you do do that, I don't offer Word, Webflows or I only offer Webflow services. I do not offer WordPress services. I am out of here. Fair enough. They go to a second person, you know, again, as long as you're not bound by some sort of legal thing, like a contract or whatever, you're out of there. And that's just the end of that. Yeah, I think a good another good title for this one is don't be afraid to say no. Right. Because like it's good to push back, but it's also like Matt said at the end there, at some point you're going to have to say no. And I think it's naive to think that the customer's always right is going to lead to a good solution, again, in a partnership based relationship where success is the goal. Because if the customer's always right and they're not the expert, they're bringing you on as the expert and they're not listening to you, then unfortunately they're wrong in that situation. And they're being a detriment to the project and to the success that could be achieved at the end, at the end of the day, right? Like that's, this is, this is where we don't do this yet. Like, and we, we might not do this because we're not like super into the client business at this point, but a lot of times how this kind of works is a cl- the a project might have a percentage based on like sales. So you might sell yourself to a client being like, hey, I'll take this up front and then whatever sales I can generate for you based on the SEO that I do, based on the, the stuff, the websites that I create for you and all that, I'll take a percentage of those sales for like six months or a, or a year after that. This is, it, It's a fairly common approach for like a, a a marketing agency or like an all-in-one solution kind of house where like an, a client comes to you and they're like, we just need to market. Like you need to buy our ad space. You need to make our website better. You need to SEO the hell out of us. Our goal is to, you know, 3X our sales by the end of the year. And then you're, it's up to you however you want to do that, right? Like this is maybe not good for like a one or two man shop, but when you have an agency, it's a little bit more realistic. This is where that, again, that partnership and that ownership and the ability to say no has to be there. If you're in that situation, then literally your bottom line is being affected by a customer's poor decision. You have to be able to push back, especially if it's commission based in some way. Like if, if, it, if it's literally like, hey, you're not going to get paid a certain amount if you don't hit that goal. And then you, and you think, you know, this this person is whatever they're going on a power trip or they're just completely they're belligerent. They, they, they won't listen to you, even though they hired you They keep saying you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing, which is very common, very common. I hear that almost daily from people. And that's not a joke. Like, you don't know what you're doing or like, they won't say that, but they'll, you'll give them a suggestion and they just blatantly will be like, I don't think that's why we should do it. And I'm like, okay, well, we just tried four of your solutions and none of them worked and we've never tried mine. And I'll even back it up with evidence. I'll be like, on my website, I saw a bump in traffic after I did the thing I told you to do. Maybe you should try it. And they're like, nah, 
Like, you don't know what you're doing. It's like, why are you calling me? You know, it gets to that point where it starts becoming really like a kind of a toxic relationship sometimes where it just becomes like, man, I'm just here for the I'm just here for the money. You're just here to yell at me. What are we doing here? I'm out of here. Like, let's get out of here. Tip number four, set expectations for everyone. So your customers may expect too much of you and you may expect too much of them. Bit of a two way street there. So set expectations in a positive way. You don't want to say something like, oh, that's way too much work for me. I'm out. Instead, you might say something like, hey, we're only a two person agency, so that will take us longer to develop. I hope that's okay." Or, hey, we're a one person agency or we have, you know, a couple of part timers and one full timer. We do not offer 24 7, 365 support. We do not offer monitoring. If you want monitoring, you have to go to somewhere, you know, somewhere bigger, somewhere that does some somewhere that does that. It's okay to say no to customers like that because they might be expecting way too much out of you. They might go, man, like, you know, you're going to you're going to run this thing. And like, if there's something wrong at at 4 a.m., you're going to wake up and you're going to fix it by 410. And that's how it's going to be. We're going to get you a pager, like a pager duty pager. And like, that's not going to happen in a small agency. Like, it's just it's it's an unrealistic thing. Maybe it is. And that's what you want to offer. And so then offer that. But if that's not what you offer. Set those expectations right away. Ensure that you learn everything that your customer expects from you beyond just developing a project, including the aftermath. Is there long-term maintenance involved? Are they going to do it? Are you going to tell them, hey, you got to do maintenance and they're just going to ignore it and then that's it. And like, I mean, sure, they'll probably end up calling you if something goes wrong, but you have no ties to it. You're not getting paid to look at, look over it. You warn them. It's sort of like a mechanic, right? Hey, do your oil changes. Yep. And you drive off the lot. I mean, they're not going to call constantly call you with your oil change. You don't do the oil change. You don't do the oil change. You have a problem because you didn't do your oil change. You have a problem because you didn't do your oil change. <laughs> like, I mean, that's, you know, that's just the reality. So like, you know, make sure you have those conversations. Also, future calls for help. How's that going to be handled? Are they just going to expect you to constantly fix your web, their website? Oh, you, but you built this website seven years ago for me. And, it, and, and you, you said it was going to work and it's worked for seven years, but now it went down. I need help. And like now your product that you made me isn't working. We have people like that that call me seven years after the fact. Hey, I need help. Hey, I need help. And 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 quite literally, the instant I bring money into the conversation, they stop answering. They don't think they should pay. And it's like, what do you like, what do you mean? Like, what did you expect? If I if, if I call the plumber to fix a drain because it was clogged and seven years later, it got clogged again. Uh, call the same plumber because he's beholden to that for the remainder of his life. Is that what's happening here? Foolishness, right? Set the expectation for future calls. Is it hourly? Are the first couple calls free? What is it? Also, response times. Already talked about that a little bit. But are you a? Do you call back in two days? Are you just an agency where you know you you jump around and do different jobs and you're not beholden to response times? So if you don't respond, you don't respond, and you tell them, hey. I'm going to build this for you. That's really great. If I don't have time to respond, I might not respond. Or we respond in two days. We respond in a day, whatever the heck it is. Make sure that you get these expectations, hopefully on paper. Make sure it's clear. Make sure that everyone knows so that if someone goes, hey, you need to be on this right away. And I'll be like, yeah, but it's been two hours. I told you 24 hours response time. I don't need to be on it right away. Actually, that's not what we agreed. Now on the customer end, 
you might want to check on their capabilities versus your expectations. Flipping the coin now. They may promise a lot of content and written material, but never, never deliver it. This might be a serious problem for a website that has no content, which means that you built this whole website, you put all the Laura Mipsums in there, all the placeholder text, and it just sits there with that sample text for months because they don't know what to write. You're not a specialist in their area. They might sell tools or something like that. You have no idea. And then they just never write it. So you got to make sure that they know that they have to write something. In the early days of our business, we had a customer that had about four words on their website on top of like the five words, I guess, of their nav bar. And it was because I would say, okay, what do you want to write about? Nothing. It's like, okay, do you have a title for this picture? No. All right. Do you <laughs> like contact us? There's two of the four words that are on the, <laughs> on the website. Seriously, though. Because people think they don't need to write anything. And then when they see the site and it's, it's barren, they go, why is it barren? I mean, I, I sometimes it's something like, you told me you would content write, and you didn't. So I haven't done it. Do you want me to content write? I don't want to pay anymore. Okay, so now I'm not going to content write? You're not going to content write? So I guess we've just failed then, yeah? Like, I mean, that's the reality. So get check those expectations and say, like, say those things. Are you going to be able to write this? Mm, I don't know. Well, if you can't, I mean, I can do it, but I got to get paid more. Don't got any more money. All right. Well, maybe maybe we can't do this project. Maybe we can't move on. Maybe we need to get AI, I guess, to write the, the copy. Like, what do we do? You know, it just comes down to one of those. Also, something like they may want a full e-commerce system for a product that is so early that it's years out and the product hits delays and delays and delays. And now this e-commerce system is either completely out of date or it hasn't been maintained or maybe it has been maintained and money's been wasted maintaining it and it's never been used. You expected them, you expected the customer to deliver a product to use with the system that you, the e-commerce system that you built and they didn't deliver. So you have to have expectations managed on both their side and your side, both sides of the fence. Another thing here I want to talk about is logistical expectations. Set them, set them and be clear. Again, hopefully in writing, everyone can see it. They've also been discussed in meetings. These include things such as response times. I'm going to answer within 24 hours. We've already talked about that, so I'm not going to expand. You get it. 24 hours, 72 hours, whatever. Payment schedule. Am I paid up front? Am I paid at the end? Is it 50 up front, 50 later? Is it 1,000 up front and the rest of it later? Is it credit card? Is it check? The amount of people that have tried to get us to open up another way of payment method. I just started saying no. Mike and I, we opened up, and this is not a joke, nine payment methods. That includes the variety of credit cards that we accept. Nine payment methods. I talked to somebody, they're like, what payment methods do you accept? I sent them nine, nine payment methods. It still triggers me to this day. Then they said, well, do you use this ES blah, blah? Like, so, no, and I'm not going to start, start. What? No, we accept cash card of various things. PayPal, the list goes on e-transfer, which is like the Canadian Venmo. Like it goes on forever. It's like <laughs> wire transfer even. What's this other method? I'm not using some random app. It's done. If you can't pay me in one of these nine methods, find someone who will accept E blah, 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 whatever it is, because I ain't doing it. Deliverables, logistical expectations in deliverables, how they are delivered and when. Are you going to show them the site on a test server first? Have them criticize it. Once it's done, you're going to take that and migrate it over to the production site. Is that what you're going to do? If that's what you're going to do, great. And how and when is there downtime? What's going to happen? 
Do they expect it to just be like, we approve it, put it up tonight. Make sure that those expectations of the migration time, whatever, are figured out. Same thing goes for maintenance and updates. Is there going to be downtime? Is there a maintenance screen? Is there a splash screen? What's going to happen? If they they go do the maintenance on Tuesday, but also on Tuesday, all our salesmen need the sales pages. You go to do the updates. You go to do the maintenance. The site goes down. Now the salespeople are calling you going nuts, going, what the heck? Set expectations. Figure out that stuff first. Because I'm going to tell you now, even when you do set the expectations and you plan this stuff, things still go wrong. But things go really wrong when you don't figure it out or when you when you don't at least try to sort it out. And last one here. Set clear logistical expectations for payment type, not just the credit cards and that. I'm talking, is this a package deal? Is this hourly? Is this a subscription? What is this? Is it per month? Is it bi-weekly? Is it this? Is it that? Is it this? Is it that? Figure that stuff out. Are different parts different things? If we scope creep up, is that hourly? What does it look like? If we have a subscription, do we get a discount on the hourly? Figure all that stuff out. Get it all sorted. So that when you go and you invoice them, they're not like, what's going on here? I thought this was going to be $100 and it's $200 and freaking out. Set expectations for everyone. I'm going to piggyback on this one uh, to provide another like kind of tip that's around this. It's not exactly the same, but what you what you also want to do is while the project is going, let's say you've set a timeline on the project. If you notice that the timeline is slipping and if you think it's going to cause delays, reach out as soon as you feel that is going to happen because it's okay to miss deadlines, but it is not okay to not communicate about the deadlines you're missing. So if it's, you know, if you knew that the deadline was going to be missed a month before and you didn't say anything until the day of the deadline, they have a right to be pissed and they have a right to go after you, whatever. And it's totally okay. Like you, you, that, that you shouldn't do that. If you're noticing that a deadline is going to be missed a month before the deadline or whenever you notice it and you immediately inform the customer, again, set the expectation that, hey, the deadline is going to be missed, then you can work with them on it. They can be like, oh, it's fine. Two couple of weeks doesn't matter. Or they can be like, okay, well, we need it out that day. What can we cut and put later on to get it to work that day? You have that expectation. You're setting that that requirement that, hey, okay, so they need it out that day no matter what because they have marketing plans they have like a launch that day whatever like there could be a reason that they can't you can't miss the deadline but that doesn't mean that you need to get everything done in the requirements list for that deadline so you can start cutting stuff the earlier you communicate that portion the better experience for the customer that there will be and the more understanding there will be if you're if you're not meeting the deadline it's a tech project chances of you meeting the deadline are pretty low <laughs> especially if it's a large one so everyone should be aware of that and it's okay as long as you communicate properly. I'll also add to, I've started doing this on my quotes for customers. I've started adding variable timelines. So I'll add things like, this is going to take a week, asterisk. And they're variable timelines because it'll rely on something like someone answering. And people like to just not answer. They don't like to read emails. They just like to be like, well, this is due in a week. I'll answer in three weeks. And then it better be done right away. Uh, I'll just literally say, this relies on this. This is an estimated how long I think it's going to take you to answer. You take two weeks. You be adding. We're adding a week. We're adding a week to this deadline. Like, and it's right. It's built right into the quote. And honestly, people have been receptive to that. Like, I'll literally say, like, these are this is or a classic one is like we'll rely on a hosting company or like a third party IT whatever, or maybe their internal IT and their internal IT just drags their feet, mess, you know, messing around. They're not 
I put that right in there. I expect them to finish this in a week. They take five weeks. That's not my fault. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you that right away. Right in the quote. Not my fault. You push your own IT company. Because literally, we've had, we've had th- situations where I've gotten everything done except for an API key. The API key is held for security purposes by a particular team member. I ask that team member. They protest. They protest giving me the API key. Not for security, but they feel that it's not their responsibility to interact with web develop with the web developers. Okay, fair enough. So now who are they going to interact with? Well, they don't want to interact with somebody else for security purposes, but they won't interact with me. So now it becomes an office, an office politics situation. Who's going to tell this person who's has the, the ultimate say so just get an API key. They have it, plug it in and it's done. Nope. Five weeks. And then I, and then we get, we get pushed back. Hey, what's going on here? Why does it take us so long? Why does it take us so long? I'll throw you right out of the bus. Because here's the thing, I'm not going to like go after you and be like, this idiot, you know, is, is being a jerk. I'm going to say, unfortunately, due to this situation, referring to the thread or referring to the, the phone call or the situation, due to this situation, we cannot proceed and we will not be able to proceed until the situation is resolved. It's your internal, your internal problem. I'm not fighting your internal politics. I don't care. Figure it out. That is one of those like kind of rearing their ugly head. Reality rears its ugly head. That's one of those things. And that absolutely happens that's absolutely happened to Mike and I. Sim- that situation and simulation sim- situations similar to that. Total disaster just because of office politics. And I'm the contractor. I'm not going to fight in your office. I'll I'll like, you know, put like I'll I'll like put my email out there and be like, "Well, I need this." And they'll be like, "Too bad." Okay. Guess I'm going to tell my main contact that you won't we won't participate. It's up to your own internal directors you know, whatever, administrators and whatever to figure it out, because like, what am I going to (laughs) do? Like, really, it just starts to get, this starts to get silly. Final tip here. Tip number five, mitigate and define scope creep. Now, some scope creep is probably inevitable. Unfortunately, a little bit of that. People forget things, whatever, but excessive scope creep can easily kill a project. So what I recommend you do is you define what scope creep is and what the consequences are and that you will be implementing those consequences as well. For example, more features is more money. If you sold a package deal on a five-page small business website, and they all of a sudden want 18 pages, they're paying more. More features, more pages, more design work, more money. Papa John's, you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> but like, seriously though, right? Like it starts getting, it starts getting ridiculous. Like people are like, ah, oh, you can just add a page, you can just add a page, you can just add a page. Like, yeah, you can just add a little bit to that stack of money then. You know, like, come on. Let's not, let's not, let's not kid ourselves here. This is getting a little, getting a little foolish and be very clear and say, if you add to the original scope that is defined in whatever document that gets approved, that that change in scope will change the deadlines. It will push the deadlines and you don't know how much it'll push the deadlines until you understand the full extent of the scope creep. Cause one thing might block another thing, might block another thing. Now, now you can't be working on things simultaneously and it becomes this whole house of cards comes crashing down and you want them to know right away before you start the project that, hey, this this will incur additional money. This will incur additional time. You want to re- meet the original six weeks? You want to meet the original eight weeks? Then let's not mess around. Also, define your process and how scope creep is defined and expressed to the client. So make a quote with a scope of work and have it approved. Simple enough. Tell them that doing anything additional to the original scope of work may be considered scope creep and incur consequences. Now, sometimes it's something something weird like, hey, you know, I 
forgot we don't have four social media icons. We have five. Is that okay? That's probably not going to constitute scope creep. And so you can say things like that. Like, hey, we know there's going to be some bumps in the road like with anything. Don't worry about it. You know, we're not going to incur consequences. What I'm saying sounds like you're going to be super strict with your client. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you just prepare to be strict, I guess. is what I guess I'm getting at. Clearly, tell them how you will inform them of scope creep. So let's say, for example, you'll say, all right, you know, I'm going to send an email saying whatever it is that you just asked me to do that's outside of that original scope of work will incur an additional charge and will push all the deadlines by a certain amount or a certain estimated amount. Do you want me to proceed with this new feature under these new conditions? Or say, you know, it has to come down to a phone call or it has to set up like a framework there that works for you and your client. So you both understand if they start adding, 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 thinking it's fine that you go, nope, we have to have a scope creep meeting. Nope, we have to have a phone call. Nope, here's my email. Let's stop this because this project may fail if we keep doing all this scope creep stuff. We can have a phase two. We can have a phase one. It doesn't have to be all done in phase one. This isn't a one and done. We can add later. Explain to them what scope creep is, what it will do, and how you're going to deal with it. Just be clear because they're not thinking about scope creep. They're just thinking, ah, that'd be cool if you could do that. That'd be cool if you could do this. It could be cool if you do that. They don't understand MVPs and deadlines and things that are things that rely on other things. They just think you're just going in and just doing a little more. Just do a little more. Just do a little more. And then snowball, boom. And now we got a big problem. Yeah. And I, you mentioned it at the start, but like it's not not everything is technically scope creep. If there is a change to something like, hey, I need to add a little block here that's going to take you like, you know, an hour to implement. That's not really scope creep. So you don't want to. You don't want to also like bombard the customer with a million different like uh, quotes for every little change that they ask, but define for yourself like what scope creep is and what it isn't. So if it's something that'll take you like an extra two days, maybe that does signify scope creep. But if it's something you can bang out in like half a day, as long as there's not like a consistent roll of them, maybe that's something you allow. So you, you want to be a little bit flexible here. You don't want to bombard the customer with, you know, rigidity all the time. But Matt's 100% right. Like the whole point, like, again, go back to the set expectations. This is part of that setting expectations on what scope creep is. And then going back to the requirements, like the the, the top there where like you, you present a human solution as well. You want to make sure that while you're presenting that human solution, you also define the requirements in the most rigid way as you can so that this part, this part of the equation becomes easier to explain. Right. So it all kind of leads into this. It's important to really, really, again, you're, you're, you're working on this together. That's the whole mindset that you have to have. If you have that mindset, it becomes easy. hundred percent agree. You know, uh, a lot of these tips kind of as my kind of closing note, I suppose all kind of fall into each other and everything sort of falls into place. But you know, th these last few tips or last couple of tips, you know, they sound like they're super strict, but you know, do present them in a human you know, way. Don't come at them like right away and, you know, be like super standoffish. And, you know, sometimes you do need to be standoffish though. Like we, we have clients that are clearly taking advantage and we've dumped them. Hey, you are clearly trying to get a thousand dollars worth of work in a $600 deal. And you knew they like, this is evident now that you're trying to take advantage of us. And so you be stern with those people. Sometimes people just don't get it. And, and then you go, you always refer back to the paperwork, right? Or sometimes you want to be something's like, Something comes in into the scope creep that you think is super cool. And you're like, man, that, you know, that is a good idea. Maybe you don't think it constitutes scope creep because you like doing it. So do you just throw it into the baggage deal? Whatever the case may be. You don't need to be super stern, be human, but, you know, be, have that scale of have your customer service, have your salesmanship, 
you know, sell your, sell your business, sell your skills and make some money. But also you have that stern side where you can come in and be like, no, this is not what we're doing. You know, this is over the scope. This is too much money or this is going to take too long. Or we agreed that we weren't 24, seven, 365. What are you doing? Stop calling me at four in the morning. You know, things like that. So yeah, like, you know, be human, have that, have that side, but you know, be ready to be stern. Those are my kind of, that's my follow-up sort of like overall statement, I guess, from all these tips, make some money out there, but don't completely destroy yourself worrying about every little thing. Cause every customer is different. And, uh, like again, Mike and I have dumped, dumped, dumped customers left, right and center who have attacked us in a way, like not physically attacked us, but like who have clearly been like, Hey, make Mike, the classic story, make us an Uber Eats clone for $250. Cause my cousin, but my, and then when we said no, they like, well, my cousin said he could do it for 200 or whatever it was. It's like, what? Then call your cousin. Like, don't call us. Why are you calling me? Yep. Call your cousin. Does up. not work with me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like stuff like that. Yep. And it's like, that's a, that's an example of being stern. But if that guy came to us and said 250 bucks, we're like, yo, you understand Uber Eats is a massive multi-million dollar company, right? Yeah. And they start understanding. It's like, then you don't have to be stern with them. You can be human with them at that point. And they just realize like, oh yeah, I guess this isn't actually $200. I didn't realize. Fair enough. And that's it. That concludes this episode. Remember that if you want to support us, you can go check us out on that Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things, and many thanks to our $3 tier patrons, Tim from the Web Hacker and thewebhacker.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com. Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com. Garrett Segal, Level Up Financial Planning via www.levelupfinancialplanning.com. And Joshua via silvio.us. Also remember that we do have a discounted we do, excuse me, we offer a discount on Scrimba subscription plans. If you use our link, that will be in the show description as well as in the show notes on htmlallthings.com. Scrimba is a learning platform. You can learn web development. It has a interactive media player code editor where you can go in and stop. You can, what's, what's the teacher doing right now as they're typing away? You can pause, interact with that code, try to break it, see what's up. Be like, oh, I understand this now. Bit of a hands-on yet still, you know, at home, on a laptop, messing around type of learning. Go check that out. And as a final note here, we'd like to give a shout out to a contributing author on htmlallthings.com, Michael LaRocca. He is the author of the self-taught TXG, excuse me, self-taught the X-Generation blog at selftaughttxg.com. Feel free to leave a comment or review on the platform you're listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.